we are rocking out the insights with this season of the KPI Cafe. The first four episodes have covered a range of important material for your dealership to be strong in 2021. And today's episode is no different. That's why it's important that you subscribe or follow the KPI Cafe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as like the Reunion Marketing YouTube channel. But before we dive into the content, let's talk about today's daily special. Today's daily special is a, a rousing tale of an experience in Japan where, well, you just have to experience it to really know what it's like. Well, you know what? I was in Japan, as you know, uh, as part of my professional wrestling career. And one of our first nights in, uh, it was Nagoya. And we go to this restaurant with a couple of guys. It's like this little, like, almost like, I shouldn't even say restaurant. It's more like a little dive bar, actually. You know, it's down an alleyway. Uh, you know, these little flags just hang outside the doorway. Uh, we go in there, and uh, it's us and our translator, Mackie, and these two other guys who were involved with uh, the promotion of the events. And we're sitting there, and they start ordering food for us. Great. We're, we're hungry. And they bring out these plates of things that I don't even know what they were, and I was too afraid to ask for clarification. Uh, a lot of it was tofu. A lot of it was mushy. A lot of it was very different. So we're kind of choking this down, and to help us with it, we're drinking this beer called Kirin Ichiban. Uh, and so, you know, you eat a little bit, you swill a bit of beer, you eat a little bit, you take another big gulp to help wash it down. Now we finish a plate. And they call for a second plate. We're like, okay, yeah, this, uh, all right, let's do this. So we make our way to the second plate. And then a third plate comes. And then a fourth plate comes. Now we're like, now we're full. And we look at our translator and we're like, we're talking to him. We're like, we can't, we can't do anymore. We're so, we're so full. But the problem is, is that, you know, they want to make sure you're, you're satisfied but at the same time, like, you can't leave anything on the plate. It's an insult to leave something on the plate. You have to eat it. So by the time we're about to finish the next plate, they order another one. And that happened three more times where it's like we're down to, like, three more pieces of whatever is on the plate. And they go ahead and they order another one. Finally, you know, we have, like, the tofu and meat sweats. And luckily, our translator halfway through the plate finally tells them, hey, you know, after this, after this we're done. But just to let you know just how foreign this food was to my American palate and my buddy uh, Marshall Gambino's American palate, uh, we had actually each drank a, a mini keg of Kirin Ichiban to uh, wash down the food. So uh, that is uh, another story with even more details. Again, as always, uh, you see me in person, ask me about these things. I love to talk about them. Uh, you know, I could probably do entire episodes about these experiences, but you're not here for that. You're here for help with your dealership, different strategies of different tactics for different platforms and different things. And today, the thing is the customer experience on your website. You know that the customer experience is more important than ever. And so I have a guest here today who is disrupting the market, making waves, uh, I, I, I listened to her on uh, helping host the, the David Kane uh, Friends and, and Family Workshop. Uh, I think she uh, is really smart and has a lot of great things to, to talk about. So without further ado, let's sink in Lyman Savvy.
Welcome back. It's another KPI Cafe, and this season is a full of firsts, a bunch of first guests, and I'm excited. I have uh, Miss Lyman Savvy of 321 Ignition. I've been following her for a while, and then, of course, I saw her with the uh, Kane Conference, and as I told her off-camera, anytime Mr. David Kane uh, uh, promotes someone, I know it's done in good faith. They have some great stories, so uh, Miss Savvy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Dane, for having me here. Absolutely. So I always ask people about their origin story in automotive, but before I get to that, you have, I've, I've read your background that was forwarded to me, and I have just one question out of everything I read. What's up with that 1986 Pontiac Sunbird? Oh, my mom bought it for me, my identical twin sister. We had to share that car. And um, the really, really funny story about that car is um, my, when we got this car, uh, our first year we had to buy, get our own license uh, tabs. We had to pay for license tab. I think it was like $70 or $80 or whatever it was. And my sister refused to pay for the tabs because she's like, you drive this car more than I do because she had a boyfriend at that time who would drive around everywhere. So the funny thing is she refused to pay for it. I'm like, okay, then I'm not paying for it either. And then one day she decided to take that car. One day, like for the whole month, she didn't drive that car. She takes that car. She gets pulled over by a cop. <laughs> and the cop was like, um, ma'am, you've been driving with that tab, unpaid tabs for a while. She's like, no, that was my twin sister. He looks at her, he's like, come on. He's like, no, I really have identical twin sisters <laughs> driving this car. So this funny car actually reminds me of the story because I'm like, karma, Ilana, karma. You didn't want to pay for the tabs and look who got pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great story. I love that. My, my first car that, that, that my mom actually bought me as well, no twin to go along with the story, but Unfortunately, a bad driving uh, a record in, in the beginning. I actually, want, it was a white uh, 92 Ford Tempo, and I actually wrecked it going forward one time, and I got a red hood, and I wrecked it going backwards one time, and I got a green trunk, and I tried to pass it off as intentional because my family's Italian, so I had the green, white, and red like the flag. Uh -huh. Say, like, oh, no, that was on purpose. That wasn't because I'm a terrible driver when I was 16. Oh, that's so. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Now, I'd like to get to your origin story. I know you were uh, previously, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, the Senior Global Marketing Manager at Microsoft. Yes, I was in charge of Office 365 uh, products, um, direct sales. So how do we acquire customers for Office 365 directly online without them speaking to a salesperson? And then actually later on, I moved on to a GTM team, which is basically go-to-market strategy, like looking across the whole entire Office 365, how do we acquire customers, how do we activate customers, how do we retain customers, how do we upsell and cross-sell, so the, the entire um, channel, life cycle. Great. So how do you go from that into automotive retail? <laughs> Great question. Uh, pure accident. Uh, one of my best friends at that time, um, she worked for a car dealership. She's been at a dealership since she was 17 years old. And this dealership was doing really, really well here in Washington State. Uh, but she would always, you know, call me up and we would go little power walks after work. And she'd be like, hey, Lyman, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So I was constantly giving her advice. And then one day I actually spent time at her dealership, um, started just helping her audit, the, you know, her paid media, how they're spending uh, their budget on the advertisement, driving traffic to their um, dealership website. Um, and then, of course, uh, when you're auditing paid media or organic or anything, the first thing you have to look at is the website. Because, you know, um, website is the catch-all. It, like, it doesn't matter how great your targeting is, like how great you are uh, segmenting and targeting uh, prospects. It doesn't matter how great your ads, the creatives you're targeting with. If people are landing on the website that's just not, you know, not relevant for whoever you're targeting or has a, a lot of friction, then people are going to be falling off or bouncing off and basically you're wasting your budget. 
So that's when I started actually auditing her website. And I realized uh, at that time, the, uh, uh, the website provider she was using, they had so many limitations. Basically, no matter what we wanted them to do, they could not do it. Um, and, and we shouldn't have even been asking them to do it. That should have been like them thinking, you know, proactively about those things. So, you know, what are the best practices? And that's when I started doing my research on um, website providers and automotive. And I realized that all of them pretty much are really, really outdated um, data providers. Their platform is really old. Um, and as you know, in the software world, uh, one of the biggest problems um, software companies have is a technolo technology legacy problem. The older the technology, the harder it is sometimes to innovate because you have a tech debt. You know, over the years, you're trying to service your customers, but also you're trying to innovate and you're putting a Band-Aid on top of a Band-Aid and before you know it, that it becomes a monster. So it almost is impossible to innovate. And so all the things that I was telling her to do that were just the, you know, minimum requirements to have a good, you know, conversion rate, they couldn't do and nobody else could do it. So I decided to start my own company. So it was pure accident. I was not thinking about it. Would have never in a million years would have thought about automotive. I, I mean, I'm here in Seattle. So, you know, it's the home of uh, Amazon's, of the Microsoft, of uh, Zillow's, you know, like all the tech, software, finance companies. So automotive was just not even on my radar until her. <laughs> so she brought it to my <laughs> Great. You know, as a digital marketing provider, you know, at Reunion Marketing, we, of course, appreciate a good frictionless customer shopping experience we always i like to coin it the land of no competitors you know it's just the dealer's inventory the dealer's offerings uh so so definitely uh, having an innovative company is always important um one question just kind of based off of what you were saying uh you know tech legacy issue problems what, what what does that usually stem from or like how like what what is it that you do that to avoid legacy issue problems like because as you innovate and continue how do you always stay on on, on at the forefront so here's the thing, every software company is going to have a technology legacy problem. Uh, the advantage the newer companies have is they're out, they're foreseeing those problems because they know now better versus, you know, companies who started 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they didn't know what they didn't know versus like, you know, our technology now is so much more advanced. So some of our competitors, you know, I'm not going to name names, but everybody knows who they are, you know, the, the big D's, you know, they started what, 15 years ago, they were the first website providers in automotive. So can you imagine like what we were building back in the days? It's not possible for them to even foresee that future. Like who could tell, you know, what the 20 years is going to look like. And so, and now, you know, imagine if you have 15,000 dealerships on your platform, like how in the world are you supposed to actually migrate all those dealerships? And plus they're publicly traded companies too. So, you know, you have responsibility to your, um, um, what do you call it? The stockholders and the board of advisors, investors. So how are you supposed to spend your budget on innovating, uh, but also completely just pull the bandit and create a brand new platform when you know your stock is gonna plummet. And so that's why a lot of those companies, they actually can't innovate, they just acquire other companies because they're just too big to actually innovate. They're too big to move. Uh, they have a technology debt problem, they have uh, stockholders uh, who they have to you know meet expectations. And they also a lot of times have too many products. So imagine if you have a DMS product, you have a CRM product, you have an inventory product, and then you also have a website. How are you going to allocate your budget, which product to innovate and which product to support, you know, not only innovate, but also add um, new features, but also support existing customers and still acquire new customers. Like it's just not possible for them to do that. Yeah. You know, not just website providers, but any sort of industry, any sort of company, there's that risk of jack of all trades, master of none when you try to put your exactly. hand in too many pots. Yeah, that's why sometimes when you get too big, you start acquiring companies. That's your only growth strategy. <laughs> you, you can't, uh, I mean, it's just not possible. 
So, you know, you, you, you entered this market, of course, saturated by a number of companies. Yes, there are the big ones. There are some newer ones. There's some ones I'm still even just learning about that I'd never heard of before. So when you got into this market, what did you see that website providers just simply got wrong in trying to serve automotive dealerships? Uh, as simple as it sounds, the biggest thing that everybody is missing, and I don't know how they're missing because they're looking at a Google Analytics, is mobile usage, mobile internet usage. It's a known fact that a mobile internet usage has surpassed desktop in 2019, but the, the trend was pretty obvious for many, many years. And companies like even Zillow, for example, even though Zillow has been around, what, 15 years or something like that, from day one, their founder said, we're going to be a mobile first company. He saw the future. And so, you know, from day one, Zillow was a mobile first uh, website platform. Like if you go to their uh, website on the uh, desktop versus on the mobile, you see it's a completely different user experiences. It's not just desktop that responds to mobile. And so for whatever reason, I don't know why, but nobody in automotive paid attention to that. And so that was the first thing that I noticed when I was helping uh, my friend manage her Google ads. And I'm like, oh, well, look what device your traffic is coming from and look at your bounce rate and look at your conversion rate. And so, and they, again, going back to the technology legacy problem, you know, a mobile first website means it's a one website design user experience for desktop, one for mobile. So it's two different designs. So it's not just taking a desktop and responding into mobile. So uh, the trend that it, other companies I see are missing is they're not paying attention to the mobile users. They're not paying attention to how fast the mobile traffic is growing. Great. So think of mobile. I mean, we hear that phrase mobile first so often. What does that really mean? What goes into being mobile first? Mobile first means that you are actually thinking about a mobile car shopping experience before you were thinking about a desktop. So it's not like you design something for a desktop and it just the response, you could see it on a mobile device. It was actually, you were thinking about a mobile user context. What are the mobile native features that you could be using to enhance the car shopping experience? It's how do you, it's less content is more. It's a, a friction, like how do you reduce the friction on the mobile device? So on a desktop, of course, you have a lot more space so you could add more content, even copy. Like the copy you see on a desktop might look really short. It might be a paragraph with two or three lines, but on a mobile device, it's going to look like six or seven lines. But guess what? Nobody's going to read that. They're going to, you know, they're going to glance because people scan. They don't read. So when you're designing for a mobile experience, you have to immerse yourself in, as a mobile user and not just an afterthought. So it's less is more. Um, it's using mobile features to enhance the experience. Like, for example, one of the features we have is when somebody's filling out a car loan application and they have to put in their address, we have a Google Maps integration. So as the user starts putting in an address, starts giving them suggestions. So all you have to do is click on it. You know, it's those little things that you're just thinking about, how do I help somebody who's just, you know, typing with one finger, how to improve their user experience, their car shopping experience. So your mobile uh, user experience is the first thought. It's not an afterthought. It's the first thought. Great. And so you're talking about these features, you know, the ad copy can be prog problematic as you transfer, like you said, from desktop, it looks short on mobile, it might be longer. So does mobile first then encourage more of like sort of a video or graphics focus or what, what, how do you orient the websites to, to fix that issue? I mean, obviously graphics is really, really important. Um, because people are lazy, you know, we're, we're used to scanning information. So of course that's really, really important. Um, and, uh, and actually what part of the graphics is when you're designing a mobile first website, it's actually best for your graphics to be all in HTML5 instead of JPEGs or PNG. That's another example of a mobile first website, because when you have a graphic that's a JPEG or PNG, that means it's static. 
So imagine you're designing it for a desktop and it looks great. And then when you're shrinking it down, even though, yes, you could see the graphic, you really can't see the details of the graphic versus when you do an HTML5, the banner ads, that's code. So what that means is if you're doing a homepage slider, you know, with OEM promotions and stuff like that, if you're saying that there's a, you know, um, font headline, font size 16, when it shrinks it down to mobile, it's still going to show font size 16 because it's code. Versus when you take an image and it's font size 16, but it's static, when you shrink it down, all of a sudden now it's font size 8. You can't see it. So, you know, if images is one other example of how, you know, the website is mobile first. Um, but uh, it's not just, the, you know, the images. It's um, the copy. It's the headline. It's the even um, putting information next to each other. So, for example, on a vehicle detail page, a lot of times we will see a price is in one place, a monthly payment will be somewhere else. And it's because the website just responded versus if somebody designed it for a mobile screen, they would have designed a use screens where price and monthly payment is right next to each other, you know? So it's, it's, it's a really thinking about what's the, it's a different user experience on mobile versus desktop. It's not just take the desktop and, you know, move things around. It's completely different design for mobile. Great. So, you know, we all know that, you know, there are different behaviors for different sizes of screens, you know, it, even like with strategies like OTT, we know that completion video rates are higher, but they don't provide for a click. Then on small screens, clicks, of course, they have that opportunity. So with, with when, when a dealer uh, leaves one of these other competitors and comes a three, two, one ignition, what do you highlight that demonstrates that your website platform is working for the dealer? What, what, what are things you look at? I mean, we literally do in our presentations, we do screenshots side by side of one of our uh, um, dealerships on our platform versus theirs. Um, so like, let's say, for example, if it's a Honda dealership, we would take one of our Honda clients and put a screenshot next to there. And I'm like, just see the difference. And as soon as you put it side by side, like, oh, I get it now. Uh, you, you know, it's because most people who are not UX, UI designers, they don't know what they don't know. It's almost like, they're like well, I could see my website on, on my mobile, so it must be mobile, but it's not. So I always like to compare it to like, uh, compare your car shopping screens and your website to Amazon or Best Buy or Home and Depot, like all those website, those e-commerce giants, it's a different experience on mobile versus desktop. And then like, even just the top navigation, like a lot of times I'll see dealership websites that they'll have logo, they'll take like one fourth of a screen, then they'll have like a navigation, another fourth of a screen. I'm like, that's a perfect example where it's not mobile first. It should have been like all on one line. Or when a dealership have print icon on mobile. I'm like, you can't even print on mobile. So clearly this wasn't designed for mobile. Great. Did I answer your question? I don't know if I just answered your question. Yeah, no, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're highlighting the differences. You're showing, you're showing the changes and, and just sort of the, the removing how it removes the friction. And even your answer previous to that, talking about the price and the, the different data points, you know, how you structure them on the site. Yeah, yeah, you put the most relevant information right next to each other. You don't want people going up and down, up and down, up and down. Like, can you imagine how frustrated that would be if you were the co consumer shopping for anything? Imagine you're buying a TV or buying a refrigerator or something for your house. And imagine, like, the information is all over the place. Or the worst thing that I always see, which is, I don't know who came up with this idea, but one time I counted a dealership had 17 buttons on a VDP page. 17 buttons. Like, that is, like, the epitome against user experience best practice. If you go to Amazon, you will only see one button, which is primary bright yellow color. Second button is uh, orange, like a darker shade of orange, and everything else is a hyperlink. In the dealership world, a lot of times I'll see they'll have like at least five or six buttons, and you know sometimes sixteen buttons and twelve buttons. Like it's crazy how many buttons dealerships have. Yeah, can you still hear me? 
Oh, yeah, I can. Okay, for some reason, my camera is, uh, mine is frozen. I want to make sure that I wasn't cut off from you. But uh, if- I see the camera's if, frozen, but I could hear you. Okay, so. great. I don't, I've never had this issue before. We can continue on. Um, so uh, not having uh, worked with 321 Ignition myself, uh, with, um, I, I know that some prov website providers have limitations in making updates and, and, and adding pages and content and alterations. What, what is working with 321 Ignition like? Because a lot of dealers, you know, have agency partners or internal teams. Is there like a back-end login? And, and what's like the process of creating or updating content with 321 Ignition? Yeah, so we have a WordPress CMS backend. Um, it's our own, so our website platform is built on our own uh, technology stack. Uh, but we're using headless WordPress CMS to give dealerships the back end to be able to create an, uh, um, create their, their new pages. Um, and uh, Dana, it's actually, Dana, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get the camera to work again. Uh, <laughs> so one of the questions I get asked all the time is uh, dealerships want a 100% customizable website. Um, you can't have 100% well, customizable website, but then it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars to build it and maintain it. Um, these websites, you know, they're not just, it's not like we're building a website for a dentist, you know, just a static website. Um, dealership websites are e-commerce platforms. Well, e-commerce platforms are very, very complicated because you need to make sure that Google can crawl the content when your inventory changes. Um, it needs to be able to display the right inventory incentives and rebates and stuff like that. So it's a really, really complicated platform. And it has so many integrations with, uh, inventory providers with the CRM providers, with DMS, with uh, um, Harpool, Softpool, credit apps, and all these, you know, third-party widgets. When, when you start adding all these uh, technologies, then it no longer becomes a cute little website, a static little website. It becomes a, a platform, like a Shopify, but specifically for car dealerships. So these platforms cost millions of dollars to build. The only way a company's um, uh, website providers could actually only charge a couple of thousand dollars a month to dealership is if they you make it as a software. And once it's a software, you know, there's a, a different spectrum. There's 100% customized versus 100% templatized. We're in between. Some things you can customize your dealership, but some things you cannot, it's standardized. And that's just the nature of, you know, how do you, um, you know, make something that's economical for, you know, a small dealership to a large dealership, because most dealerships are not big. You know, there's of course those, uh, you know, huge auto groups, but majority of dealerships, you know, one, you know, one dealership, two dealership stores, you know, they just can't afford to pay thousands of dollars to, or hundreds of thousands of dollars to build it and then thousands of dollars a month to maintain it. So um, we're in between where you, some of the things you can customize and some things you cannot, it's a templatized. But one of the things that I always tell a dealership is also is it's our responsibility to make sure we're constantly testing to understand what's going to get more leads for the dealership. So that's one of the benefits, you know, as a dealership, like how many dealerships actually have user experience um, experts that are in the store? They don't. Or lead generation experts or direct response experts or, you know, the scrum masters or project managers, like, or analytics expert, experts. They don't. That's why, you know, companies like us, we need to specialize. We need to be really good at understanding how do we convert more car shoppers to leads. And that's what we do. So to a certain point, um, you know, we don't want to give dealerships all the access because they don't have the in-house expertise. And to, in order for them to have that expertise, they're going to be spending over a million dollars just on the salaries for them for those that kind of expertise. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Dane. I mean, the you know, copywriters, designers, developers, scrum masters, project managers, like UX, UI designers. Those salary, those people are not cheap. You know. <laughs> no, they are not. Those are definitely specialized talents, and mm -hmm. the salaries come with it for that. 
Uh, Lyman, what, what are some of the most sort of, I, I know you talk about, you know, increasing profitability and efficiency for car dealers with websites. If you were to sit a dealer down, what would be, so, and I know you kind of talked on this, I just want to dive a little bit deeper into it. What are like, are there, what are some of the most obvious improvements they can make on their site? Like what you sit them down and you go, okay, here's, we're going to look at these five things uh-huh. to see how you're performing. And, and this is how we can make it better. So, um, you know, every dealership I talk to, it's pretty crazy to me where they all think they have a problem with traffic. They think they're not getting enough traffic. Um, but I'm like, you don't have a problem with traffic. You have a problem with converting the traffic. So as simple as it sounds, our dealerships that are on our platform, and I'm not even like exaggerating, like those are real numbers. Dealerships have increased their lead volume from 200 to 500% just by being on our platform. And some of our customers, you know, the big auto groups we work with, they've actually had their marketing teams reach out to us. One of the auto groups reached out to us and said, they have eight other stores and one of their stores is only on our platform. And they're like, uh, we've generated more leads for them in the first six months of them being on our platform than all seven stores combined. And as simple as it sounds, the only difference is the user experience in the mobile device. You know, it doesn't matter how much, how many website visitors you're driving. And also, Dana, as you know, because you guys manage paid media, um, you know, let's say Google Ads. Google Ads, one of their key metrics is quality score. Well, quality score, it means, you know, if people are clicking on your ads, but then let's say bouncing, that's going to hurt your quality score. So let's say a keyword that normally costs $4.00. Now, if your quality score is one to two, you could be paying up to 200% more for that same keyword. So if you have a $3,000 budget to spend on Google ads, and now you're spending 200% more on keywords because you have a horrible user experience, guess what? You're going to get a lot less visitors, and that means a lot less leads. So as simple as it sounds, getting the, I mean, the reason why Amazon is so huge is because they obsess over removing friction, literally obsess over it. Just one button, you know, just one click, one checkout. You know, friction is so, so important and anxiety. I always think about like, what are the anxiety elements that are on a website? They're preventing consumer from taking the next step, taking the next action. So we think about what, uh, how clear is the value proposition? Uh, what's the uh, benefit to t- take action now? What are the friction elements and what are the anxiety elements? And that's how our whole user experience was designed. So I, you know, I know this is not saying, you know, top five things, but the key message, you know, is I see dealerships always tell me they think they have a website traffic problem. They have a conversion problem, not a traffic problem, you know, because <laughs> they're spending more on that same traffic than they would have. Even like Instagram, Instagram, 100% of Instagram users is mobile. Every dealership, you know, cares about Instagram, but nobody's thinking about well, when people are coming from my Instagram account, they're coming to my website. What's the experience like? Like, it's just really thinking about not just traffic, but converting that traffic. Absolutely. You know, one of the big things with Reunion is we are, are at the SEO that we offer uh, our dealer partners. We have a thing called the TVC profits process. It's traffic versus conversion. Mm-hmm. Do you have a traffic problem or do you have a conversion problem? And that's where we set our priorities in, in trying to help. I like a lot of what you said there with quality score, because we've been talking about it for a couple of years now. A lot of dealers just aren't, aren't seeing that. It, it's at the keyword level and like you said, I mean, you think if you have a quality score of three, you're paying twice as much to be competitive as someone who's a quality score of six for that keyword. So it's, it's crazy. And you know, the reason why some dealerships don't know about this is because some paid media agencies don't even give them access to Google ads and they don't even talk about it. They give them very high level, you know, information like here's how many clicks you got. Who cares? Like which keywords? What's the quality score? What are the ads <laughs> you're running? Like there is what I'm seeing the problem also in automotive is there's not enough transparency. 
And so dealerships are just really flying blind. They really don't know what they don't know. They don't have enough data to know that. Oh, and here's the other thing. Vince, <laughs> so you're going to be pretty, like, unbelievable about this. So we're the first company to actually allow a dealership to be able to track Google UTM parameters from their website in their CRM. What I mean by that is like, let's say for example, if you guys are running uh, Google ads for the dealership and you added UTM parameters to their tracking link and you're driving people to the website, when a person uh, converted on the dealership website, let's say they scheduled a test drive as an example, not only will you see in their CRM that there was a test drive scheduled, but you will see what drove that traffic to their website. We're the first company to do that, which to me is incredible that nobody has ever done this before. Like, how does dealership not have this data? Like, CRM data is the most important thing, not just Google Analytics, because Google Analytics is the pixel-level data. You have to have CRM-level data, because that tells you uh, average gross profit per channel, per campaign, for whatever you might be testing, and also the type of leads, and like, you know, which the salesperson went to. So the level of transparency, like, I'm a data nerd, so the level of transparency we're giving dealerships is unprecedented. I haven't seen that yet in the automotive. That's fantastic. You know, we actually came, the six founders are came from the dealer side. And one of our biggest sticking points were transparency issues, whether it was not providing access to Google Analytics and ads, or it was that they were a, um, uh, a percentage-based paid search company instead of a flat fee. We're like, there's so many problems. And no I wonder- Right. And no wonder that dealers have hesitations and, and apprehensions in working with vendor, digital vendors. Yeah, it's incredible. Some of the, and then, you know, back to your earlier question, you know, how I get in, got into automotive, as cheesy as, as it sounds, and not to sound cheesy, but the main reason why I got, got into automotive is because I felt like dealerships are being taken advantage. And I wanted to protect them because I saw what's happening to my friends. You know, like as an example, she was working with this one agency um, in the, based out of Portland, Oregon, and they were spending $50,000 per month in advertisement. Um, and out of that $50,000, um, I'm like, okay, well, how are they spending the money? And so first of all, what I noticed is a lot of agencies will bury dealerships with paperwork. You know, they'll send them a lot of reports and like in PDF, by the way, not even in Excel. So they could, there's no way for a dealership to even be able to itemize and see like, is this even accurate? Or like, what are they sending me? They're like, Oh, it looks like there's a lot of data that must be really busy, but that's just, you know, smokes and mirrors. And so what I noticed is this uh, agency was spending only $2,000 out of the $50,000 on Google ads. When I asked them, I'm like, why are you guys not doing spending more on Google ads? Because Google ads, you know, it's a pool versus push. They were spending $5,000 on Pandora ads. And I'm like, why are you spending $5,000 on Pandora ads? But you're spending uh, less than $2,000 on Google ads. And this agency told me like, Lyman, you're from Microsoft in the automotive industry. It's a little bit different and it's all about brand awareness. And I'm like, okay, well, I used to spend the, you know, millions of dollars in brand awareness and guess what? You're not going to increase brand awareness with the $5,000 Pandora ads budget because, you know, brand awareness, it's all about frequency and reach, you know, the RFPs, TRPs. And I'm like, but instead you're not spending their budget for some most efficient channels, which is Google search, you know, or Bing search. And so, and what was interesting to me is, uh, you know, my friend was sitting there and she's like, you know, deer with the headlights. She's like, I don't know. It sounds like what they're saying is right. Lime, is this right? I'm like, no, it's not right. None of this is right. Uh, and the other thing is I uncovered because they were sending her reports in PDF, they were actually overcharging her, but she had no way of knowing that. So every time I would ask them, send me uh, uh, reports in Excel, they wouldn't. So finally I converted the PDF to Excel and I calculated and they were supposed to be charging her 15% of media. They were charging her 20% of media. 
but not until I actually converted and calculated, she didn't even know that. And then they're like, oops, it's an oversight. Let us correct that. But if I didn't catch that, what if they would have been charging that for guns for much longer? So as cheesy as it sounds, I started this company because I felt like somebody's got to protect these dealerships, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds. But I feel like a lot of dealerships just are being taken advantage because it's a small business. Small business owners, they don't have the luxury, the budgets, you know, to have marketing experts like Microsoft does or other companies. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny thing of like sort of just anecdotes. I was, uh, uh, George Nenny, I don't know if you know George, but uh, George Nenny of Generations Digital had a post the other day about data because he's, he's a data nerd, nerd too. If you're a data nerd, you two would get along great. Um, uh, so he was talking about, um, you know, overspending in paid search. And so I was, I was actually just recently just kind of Googling local dealers, not even like branded, but like I was just typing in, you know, year make model near me, year make model for sale. And there was a local dealer that, for any specific make model searches, non-branded, again, I wasn't typing in the dealership's name, they were showing up in paid search, but not in, not in one single search they show up in, in the first two pages of organic. Hmm. So that's either a website provider issue and like some, you know, or that's a digital, you know, something's, something's broken here and no one's telling this dealer. Well, I wonder if maybe it's because they don't have enough of the, your make model, the combination, because you know, in order to show up organically, you have to have the, the, the keyword density. So maybe that's why I'm gonna give the agency a benefit of a doubt. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, because I've seen some really crazy stuff. I mean, these were some core models. I mean, these are like, the, they're big sellers. So I, that's why I, I reached out and said, hey, you got a problem here and I, I never heard back. But anyway, uh, Lyman, I'd like to close out here. I'm gonna ask you for some lofty prognostication here. What are you most excited about, whether it's, in, in what it, what you see for customer behavior, whether it's for three to one ignition uh, specifically, what are you most excited about heading into 2021? I'm most excited about that uh, dealerships, I think are now realizing how important is their website. Um, and I think now dealerships are actually are thinking about their website as their digital showroom versus like when I started this company two years ago, some of the conversations I was still having is that if, dealership would say, I don't want people on my website. I just want people to walk in. As long as they walk in, you know, I'm going to sell them something. I think with the, you know, with the pandemic and everything that actually has shifted, this, you know, the dealership's mentality a little bit about, well, no, the website is actually your digital showroom. And, you know, this is how people shop. And, the, you know, and you, I'm sure, have seen this statistic many times. Now, consumers, when they're shopping for a car, they're visiting fewer dealerships. What that means is if you don't have the best car shopping experience, they're gonna never even walk into your showroom and especially mobile. So I think what I'm excited about is that um, I, I think dealerships are now are thinking more like Amazon's and Microsoft's and Ubers of the world and Carvana's of the world. And uh, I think there's things are changing in automotive. Fantastic. Uh, Lyman, if, if, if someone listening, uh, dealers listening wants to reach out to you, wants to learn more about 321, what are the best methods of, of engaging with 321 Ignition? Um, our website, 321ignition.com, or on any of the social media channels. We're very um, active on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, or anybody could even message me on social media directly too. Anybody wants to geek out on the, or get my opinions or advice or whatever it is, contact me on social media, Lyman Savvy. Fantastic. Lyman, before I let you go, one thing I didn't ask, maybe you said I missed it. What color was that 1986 Pontiac Sunbird? White. 
A white and one. Okay. Oh, there we convertible. go. I feel like a total PIMP. <laughs> uh, Lime and Savvy, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for being a guest on the KPI Cafe. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. And I will see you next time.